the costs that you pay up front are almost uniformly going to be lower than the costs that are going to come out if you don't do the work ahead of time. And that goes across the board because not only do you deal with things not having been prepared and having been done, and therefore it can't possibly be in a better situation than it would have been had this plan, but then you have the situations where, okay, well, why wasn't it planned? Oh, here's family members now arguing, and that might turn into litigation. And litigation costs time, it costs money, it costs mental energy. A lot of times people look very narrowly at costs and say, this is too much. Mm-hmm. And I always say, it's not a matter of how much it costs you now. It's how much it's going to cost you if you don't do it. Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future after the loss of a spouse. I'm your host, Stacey Francis, President and CEO of Francis Financial, an award-winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. Today, we're going to be talking about lessons learned from HBO's hit TV show, Succession, all about estate planning for families with businesses. And whether you're an avid fan of the hit show or it's new to you, I can guarantee that you're going to be walking away with the information you need to make sure that you are planning appropriately for your family business. If your spouse has unfortunately passed away and you've received the interest in a business, don't worry because we're going to be giving you the tips you need to know to realize its true value, protect yourself from tax missteps, and also make sure that your family remains happy and united. And our special guest, Michael Levy, is our hero talking about all of these topics. He is a shareholder of the New York office of Anderson Kill and a member of the firm's Wills, Trusts, and Estates Group. He brings over 20 years of experience in this field. And I tell you, has just unbelievable caring and genuine concern for his clients' well-being. He works with his clients to navigate many of life's challenges, ups and downs, serving as a lifetime advisor, both with complex estate planning issues like we're going to be talking about today, business succession, but also works with other families that have more straightforward planning needs as well. So without further ado, please help me welcome our very special guest, Michael Levy. Michael, it is great to have you here and I love that we're going to be talking about lessons learned from HBO's hit TV show, Succession. Definitely been in the news, and I know that you've worked with a lot of business owners and family-owned businesses, seeing good planning and unfortunately, sometimes planning gone wrong. So I'm really excited for you to be here today. Well, thank you for having me, Stacey, and I'm Always excited to talk about two of my favorite things in the world, business succession planning and TV. 
and especially the show Succession, which I am a major fan of and a major fan of since the first season. And obviously the last season just finished airing a couple months ago and just a very interesting subject that you don't really necessarily see play out in TV and movies quite as much as you would think because these are dramas that happen all the time. This is something that many families, many businesses go through, and it's fascinating to me. It's really something that I find to be some of the most interesting planning work you can do. Yeah, and I have to say, you're not alone in watching Succession. I was reading that season two, the episodes averaged a whopping 5 million viewers each. And I love the characters and it's definitely a cutthroat drama. And just for those of you who maybe don't watch or I'm sure you've all heard of it, but it's the Roy family and it's a pretty dysfunctional family and it centers on their company. It's a global media and entertainment conglomerate. And the family members are battling for control of its future. And the patriarch of the family who started the business as having medical issues, a coma. There's been no planning at all. And it shows this imagined family fighting missteps. And I have to tell you, lots of lessons learned from the Roy family. So the first thing is a lot of disagreement. So we're going to get started with just some questions. Michael, when you're working with families, what disagreements do you see? occur when a business owner has passed away and they've been managing the business, but there really hasn't been much planning for that? Well, when there's no planning, there's no plan. And when there's no plan, chaos is almost a certainty. One of the things that I have seen when it comes to family businesses is you have, in most situations of the family business, a very charismatic, dynamic individual at the top of the company. And that comes from, in many ways, deserved arrogance, if you will, a belief that they have taken something and created it from nothing. With that comes also a belief that no one can truly do what they do again. If your entire goal of owning a business is to get yours, to do what's best for you, and then when you're gone, whatever is left can be sorted out. That's fine. But a lot of people have a little bit more magnanimous opinions on this, and they want to be able to create something that lasts past their lifetime, maybe past their children's lifetime. And you see that there is a low decline in the amount of businesses that continue to exist as it passes from first generation the second generation, second generation, the third generation. And the main reason is because a lot of families have a lot of very interesting personalities in them and a lot of people who perhaps have different ideas of what their talents are compared to the rest of the family. I think mm -hmm. you look at the show Succession and you had three out of four of Logan Roy's children with aspirations of different levels to be the person in charge when Logan passed away. And when you look at them from the outside, you can see why none of them, truthfully, were the right fit because 
none of them could match the exact traits that made Logan Roy a success. That's played for drama on TV, but in reality, it doesn't have to be a perfect fit when you're planning for the future. It just has to be something where you have an idea of what the most important traits that you as a business creator or business owner have, what are the most important ones, and who fits that role the best amongst the many options. Sometimes that's a child on a very rare occasion, a spouse, and a lot of times it just might be someone who's not related to you at all. So when you have a situation like that, there are so many dynamics that have to be dealt with. And when you don't deal with them before the situation presents itself, you find yourself in a situation where no one has a roadmap, no one has a game plan. And so they all go into business for themselves. They all decide, I am the one who's going to step up. But only one can step up. And when there's more than one, chaos and anger and frustration and conflict will ensue. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about so many of our clients who have businesses where, God forbid, something happened, what would happen to their business? And succession planning is not an easy thing to do. And it's something that has to be thought about well in advance of there being some type of disability or something like that occurring. How does a family do succession planning? I'll share my story. As a financial advisor, you know, there you have a couple options. You can sell to Goldman Sachs and they buy your business. You can do internal succession, which is what we're, we're doing of employees that are the heart and soul of the firm buying into the firm and taking ownership. Other people might do more like a venture capital. What are some of those options and what do you see your clients leaning towards more frequently? It can start from something as simple as an apprenticeship, if you will. A common story that I talk to people about when it comes to experiences I've had is actually one related to a friend of mine. My friend runs a pair of hardware stores in the West Village and in Chelsea called Garber Hardware. It's a at least fourth generation hardware store which started in the 19th century here in New York. The family owned what would be a considerable amount of property in the West Village before the turn of the century. And unfortunately, because the people weren't quite as sophisticated as they are right now, a lot of that property got sold and the value, which would be probably somewhere in the seven to eight figure range, just is no longer with the family. But they still have the store. And the store went on for several generations. And ultimately, what happened was my friend had been working in the store throughout his life as a teenager later on. And he saw the generation before him starting to get ready to retire. And he felt the sense of duty to make sure that the store not only stayed alive, but thrived beyond what had happened to that store up until that point. So he took it over, worked with his father and uncle. and. They went from one location to two locations and expanded a second location recently. So it can be that simple as one family member stepping up, working with the older family members and figuring out how to make it work for the next generation to come and for their generation. Now, that can be a little bit more difficult when it's not something as straightforward as you have a store. 
when you have a business where it's more complicated and you can't just simply bring a kid in and have them work behind the counter, it becomes something where you have to have a little bit more nuance to the discussion and a little bit more sophistication with what you do. One way to approach it is with the senior family member or family members sitting down and putting together a buy-sell agreement. And what a buy-sell agreement does is it outlines what will happen in various life events to the business. So obviously the most common transfer is if someone passes away and the buy-sell will illustrate what would happen in that situation. How would the interest in the company or the LLC or whatever entity it is transfer to the next generation? What will happen to the value of those assets vis-a-vis the person who was alive who may have a widow or with a widower who is entitled to the benefit of the value of those interests? And how is that going to be funded? One of the biggest problems in any sort of succession planning is when you have people who are entitled to value, but you have an ongoing business and you have to weigh the cost of paying out the person with that entitlement to value versus the ongoing expenses and capital needed to run the business. If that's not planned out ahead of time, you're looking at a very unlikely future for that business because most likely they'll need to sell to an outside party to make up that capital. That's one aspect to it. There's also, if people get disabled, what happens there? One of the statistics that are becoming more brought up and more known is the fact that a great majority of people over the age of 65 are going to have some form of incapacity or long-term care event in their lifetime. And if you're running a business, that could be something that completely takes you out of the picture. So it's not just a matter of, well, this person is going to work till the day they die. They may not. They may work until they become incapacitated. They may decide at a certain point, I'm done. I want to retire. But I don't want to retire and give up my interest. I want to know that I'm being taken care of and my family is being taken care of while the business continues on. So the most basic way of doing things is to have a plan in place that deals with all these potential issues and potential problems. That's the first step. As part of that, beyond just the sitting down with a financial advisor, sitting down with a lawyer, there needs to be a conversation with the people who are involved, either the family members who are either working in the business or think that they have some form of entitlement to the business, as well as the people who are not related to the owner, who are really important to the business to make sure that they're aware that they are a part of this business's future, regardless of the fact that there is no familiar relationship between them and the owner. And it's very important that this is a candid conversation with all parties involved so that people aren't walking into things and expecting things that are just not going to happen. It's a really difficult thing to have a candid conversation about something like this because it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing to talk about. In any planning, thinking about things like death and disability, no one wants to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And yeah, I do this for a living. Yeah, those are two D words that are not, I mean, I'd rather talk about vacation plans, right? Sure. <laughs> exactly. I'd I, I love to just talk about the entertainment value of succession and how the acting is superb and how certain characters just are the most horrible human beings that I never want to see in real life. But it's what really came out for me when I wrote the initial article that I think you saw and the reason why we're talking about this today was this is real life. The way they dealt with what happened to Logan Roy 
it's a real life thing. People go through these situations all the time. Businesses go through these sort of situations all the time. And planning ahead of time and keeping all of these things in mind, keeping all the aspects, both the professional and the personal in mind, this will make things go so much smoother yeah. than just waiting for something to happen. Yeah. And so I'm definitely hearing from you, Michael, the importance of having these conversations of if something happens to that business owner, having those conversations, what's going to happen here? Who's going to run the business? Who's going to be doing the day-to-day management? How do we buy out my ownership? And one of the options you talked about was a buy-sell agreement that's being funded by life insurance so that your spouse who you've passed on and now owns 70% of the business, 60%, whatever that number is, doesn't really matter, that their share can actually be purchased and your spouse can receive the proceeds. The last thing that other business owners want is to be in business with their partner's spouse who really doesn't want to be there. So that's really important to hear as part of the planning as well. What are some other recommendations that you have of estate planning for individuals who have family businesses? So one of the common planning techniques that people use are what are called estate freezes and gifting strategies. When you have a family business or you have a family business in a large estate, the possibility of having to pay some form of estate tax in the future is significant. Beyond that, depending on how the interest passed, the property may increase significantly from the moment it goes to the new party to when maybe down the line those assets are sold or they're taxed. So being able to look at strategies such as using a sale to what's called a defective grant or trust using a GRAT, which is a grantor-retained annuity trust. These are different ways to take a portion or all of the business and transfer it to the next generation for ownership purposes while maintaining the current value of that asset as what it is today. And most of the time you have these situations set up where you have values that are going to be smaller today, but 10, 15, 20 years out are going to be significantly higher. So you will have made a transfer that's going to provide the next generation with that value at a smaller estate tax and potentially income tax hit than you would have had you just transferred it directly to that person. It's also a way to kind of use, if you want to call it training wheels, to kind of start the process of transferring slowly. We have different means of transferring assets to family members, such as using the federal annual exclusion gift. We each have a lifetime exemption, which is equal to the federal estate tax exemption, which is now north of $12 million, which will be so at least until 2025. And then after that, we'll go back into the process of guessing what it's going to be. But these are ways to slowly make this transfer to the junior family members while also potentially having control over the assets and ensuring that there isn't any sort of problem with a child who may have issues with overspending or drug addiction 
or you may just be looking to make a quick buck and try to sell the company out from under the senior family. So there's a lot of different benefits to using these forms of trust planning and estate freeze planning and gift planning to facilitate the transfer to a junior family member. Now, there's mm-hmm. another side to this, and that is, what about people who are not going to be part of the business? There's a lot of times where you have a child who, for whatever reason, has decided, this is not for me. And yeah, this is, yeah, not, not where I see my future running the business. Not, yeah, I don't want to run the business. I don't want to be involved in the business. Or even a situation like they have on succession where you had a child of a first marriage, you have three children of a second marriage. And it was quite clear that the child of the first marriage was sort of the black sheep of the family, not set to inherit the business from the perspective of management. He'd still get a portion of the ownership, but he was not going to be in charge. And there was at no point did he even think he was going to be in charge. But it doesn't mean because they don't get involved in the business that they're thought of lesser manner than the children who do. It just means that they are going to possibly have to be benefited in a different manner. So one way to do that is to get the business value, get your other assets valued, and proportionately provide for the child outside the business with different assets than the actual assets Mm -hmm. of the business. This is also another situation where using life insurance might be a good way to create a pot of wealth that can be transferred to the outside the business. I love that you share this. I actually... We have a client who has done just that, has two kids. One child is very interested in the business, actually plays an active role in the business and is moving up. And so slowly over time, they're gifting to that child portions of the business each year. And what they've done is they had the business valued. They're then also have written in their estate plan a provision to compensate their other child who is not active in the business to make sure that she receives assets in that equivalent amount. It's beautiful because it means that you're preserving, quite frankly, that relationship between the son and the daughter, the brother and sister, because they're both being treated equally. It really is lovely. And the conversations that they've had have been very meaningful as well. I think that that's always a good thing to hear. By and large, when people come to work with me, I think they're looking to find a solution that's going to do as much to keep a family together, a business together as they can. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes life and circumstances can't keep all that together in any way. Sometimes it's just not meant to be and no amount of planning can get you to the point of where you want to be. But as much as that possibility does exist, there are plenty of ways to obviate the possibility of that happening. And I think that one of the keys that I always talk to clients about and what I tell the clients is think of planning in terms of this is sort of your last gift to your children. This is your last gift to your family. And the best gift you can give them is a seamless and easy transition once you're gone. The worst thing you can give them is nothing, no guidance, 
no knowledge of what it is you wanted, even if they think what you wanted is crazy or wrong. That kind of comes through in a lot of the conversations mm-hmm. I have with people. Yeah. People want to do the right thing by their family. They want to do the right thing by their businesses. And it's not an impossible task. It is not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. And the bigger a family, bigger a business, the more complicated it becomes. But starting the process early, revisiting it regularly, and making sure that you're not doing everything without input from important people is as much as you can do to find Mm -hmm. the right solution to this issue. Yep. So you talked a little bit about taxes and we talked a little bit about defective grantor trusts and grats is some options of potentially gifting now so that when the business actually is passed on at a future date, the amount that might be owed in estate taxes is lower. And I know for a lot of clients, they receive assets in a business or their parent passes away and that business is very, very large and they don't they don't plan on working in the business, but are going to look at selling it or doing venture capital. And they come and find that there is a unbelievable tax surprise, a very large tax bill, and then are in essentially handcuffs of how do I pay this tax bill when I have this illiquid business that's worth $30 million and I can't sell it in the next month. Can you talk a little bit about some of those unfortunate tax surprises? I'm not morally opposed to the estate tax. I'm sort of an estate tax agnostic, if you will. But I think everyone assumes someone passes away, the assets pass, and you're done. And unless you're in the fields we're in where we know that that's not the case, it does come as a bit of a surprise. And in some circumstances, I think there's an over-reliance on planning for estate taxes to the detriment of the people who are in the process of living their lives. But I also think on the flip side, there's a lot of people who don't consider the fact that it's not so simple to take a $5 million business and sell it within the nine months or the 15 months you have to get your estate tax bill paid. And even if it is possible, you're probably not going to get exactly what you should get because you're working to pay a tax bill. So this is where you really have to have a lot of foresight and work with planners who are aware of the fact that these things. And again, this is another situation where our good old friend life insurance can be so helpful. A lot of people look into large life insurance policies with the explicit reason of getting them to pay for estate tax or pay for any sort of death tax. And if they set it up in such a manner that the life insurance itself doesn't get taxed, it becomes an additional benefit to the family. But if you have these illiquid assets, and this goes for all illiquid assets, not just businesses, if the expectation is to retain the assets as they are after someone passes away, you have to have some form of liquid assets available to pay it. And it needs to be available pretty quickly after someone dies. Yeah. So for a business, let's say her spouse passes away, she inherits the business, 
thank goodness, let's say there is a buy-sell agreement that has life insurance. So her portion of the business ownership is paid out to her. So she's set. But does there still need to be a valuation of the business for estate tax purposes in that situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. Would she potentially have to, again, pay taxes on the value of that estate, even though it's her spouse? If it's a pure spousal transfer, both New York State and federal government have an unlimited marital. And that's a really great benefit for surviving spouse. But one thing that needs to be considered when there is a couple and the first spouse passes is whether or not it makes sense to take the entirety of what they're inheriting as a marital redemption gift, or if it makes more sense to take portion or all of the exemption for the deceased spouse and use that. And the reason for that is, depending how it's structured, it's possible to not only protect those assets from taxes at the time of the first spouse's passing, but continue to allow those assets to grow and eventually pass tax-free when the widow or widower passes away. So having the right valuation team involved after someone passes away, having the right planners involved beforehand to set up or at least make a possibility of setting up a variety of testamentary trusts to hold the business can make the difference between having no tax when the first spouse passes and having a large tax bill go to the children later on and having no tax of the first spouse is passing and a significantly lower tax bill when the second spouse passes. What I'm hearing is planning and getting the right team involved. I think that that's really important because I'll be honest, none of this is straightforward. Some people worry about how expensive it is for evaluation. Michael, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm getting my firm valued right now. We're paying $8,000 to do that. It's a specialty firm that values financial advisory firms. I'm healthy, I'm happy, but I'm doing it because we're actually doing internal succession planning. Mm -hmm. And the last time I did evaluation was 2019. It's been four years. So we wanted to do another valuation. And I'll tell you for $8,000 for the amount of work they're doing, I felt like that was very reasonable. Now, of course, I'm a financial advisory firm. Our revenues, they're lovely, but we're not Walmart. So I imagine very large corporations, the valuation process is number one, more time intensive, but also more expensive. What do you see as a range of cost for evaluation? I think the range of costs goes hand in hand with the specific type of business and the size of the business that's involved. What you just said actually makes me very happy because one of the mistakes people do is they just assume any old valuation firm is going to do right by their business. And the reality is we're living in a very good time to find the right people in most professional service industries. You know, we have financial advisors who specialize in certain areas, and there are also valuation companies who specialize in certain areas. And there are valuation companies that work with smaller firms and those that work with the Fortune 500. It's a matter of finding one where it makes the most sense in terms of what you're paying is not outrageous when you look at it compared to what you're bringing in in revenue. But one thing I would always 
caution people when they get into the whole, why am I spending $8,000 on evaluation? Why am I spending $7,000 on an estate plan? Why am I spending however much on a financial plan? The costs that you pay up front are almost uniformly going to be lower than the costs that are going to come out if you don't do the work ahead of time. And that goes across the board because not only do you deal with things not having been prepared and having been done, and therefore it can't possibly be in a better situation than it would have been had this plan, but then you have the situations where, okay, well, why wasn't it planned? Oh, here's family members now arguing, and that might turn into litigation. And litigation costs time, it costs money, it costs mental energy. A lot of times people look very narrowly at costs and say, this is too much. Mm -hmm. And I always say, it's not a matter of how much it costs you now. It's how much it's going to cost you if you don't do it. So find a reasonable valuation firm, find a reasonable person charging a decent rate, but get it done and make sure that it's done correctly. And as you did, don't stop the first time. You need to do this repeatedly and make sure that you are protecting your assets by knowing where things are today, four years from now, five years from now. However long the lifetime of the business and the lifetime of the person is, you have to be consistent and you have to be adjusting as things change. I can hear some people kind of in their heads thinking like, okay, well, how do I find these valuation firms? Well, you reach out to you, right? You you reach out to your estate planning attorney, reach out to your financial advisor. It's our job to know this. And you know, if you are the business owner and you're living a healthy, happy life, which is great, and it's not the situation where unfortunately that person's passed away and now the widow is fumbling through trying to do this. If you're the business owner, how do you find out that perfect valuation firm is you go in those industry conferences and talk to the other business owners that own Subway franchises, right? Similar to your Subway franchise. I'll be honest, that's what I did. I would go to all the industry conferences and I would talk to other owners saying, okay, who do you use for valuation? And in our field, there's a couple, but really there's only two. <laughs> so it was pretty easy. And I did one valuation with the other firm last time. I'm doing another valuation with the second firm, which is great because I'm going to be able to have you know a little bit more information. Really important. I know we've gone through a lot, but we are coming up to time. Michael, is there anything that we didn't cover that you feel like is really important, either from the planning perspective before that business owner passes away or the family that is kind of picking up the pieces after he or she has unfortunately died? One thing I would say is, regardless of you're talking about if things have been planned properly or if you're in the process of planning, or if you're in a situation where you're working on off a plan that was either done not to your liking or it wasn't done at all, there's always a way to rectify a situation and there's always a way to find a way forward. A lot of times people don't ask questions and they don't bring up topics that are important to them because they don't want to look stupid. I have told this to clients throughout my career. There is absolutely nothing that is a stupid question. The only Mm. stupid question that you have is the question you don't ask and you don't get an answer to. So what I would take away from what I'm saying and what 
you're saying, what any professional you work with will tell you is ask us what you need to know. Ask us what you don't know. That's why we're here. We're not here just to line our pockets and sit in fancy offices. We're here to help you. We're advisors. That's why we got into this business is to help people. Now, it's not necessarily the charitable work that you might think of when you think of helping people, but what we do is help you. We can't help you if you don't let us help. So please, let us help you. And you're one of the most wonderful people persons that I've ever met. And truly, it is about helping. And in that vein, Michael, how can our listeners get a hold of you? What is the best way to reach out? I am with the firm of Anderson Kill PC. We are a multidisciplinary firm. We're based out of Manhattan. We have offices throughout the Northeast. And you can go on to andersonkill.com, read up on my fellow trusted estates professionals, as well as other professionals in our organization. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be doing a variety of things. Myself and one of my colleagues is coming, are coming out with an article in the New York Law Journal in the next few weeks. And the Trusted States Group here is going to be putting on a couple of seminars in the fall. So we're more than happy to have anyone interested in learning about different aspects of estate planning come in. Probably going to be some food and drink as well. So you'll get a little bit of a, a nosh, a little bit of a drink, and you'll learn a lot of this stuff. So we're here to help you and support this podcast, support Francis Financial, support Stacy. She's great. It's really all I can say. Well, thank you. And for all of you listening, don't worry. We're going to be putting Michael's contact information in the show notes right at the bottom of this podcast. In addition, we're going to put a link to their website so you can go online, see what events they have coming up. I truly believe that this is just the beginning. There's so much that you need to know about planning for a business. Also, if you are a widow, inheriting a business. And Michael and his team are unbelievable resources who really care and are able to take some pretty complex planning and make it understandable. So Michael, I cannot thank you enough for being here, really talking about succession and talking about the pitfalls, and most importantly, how our listeners can make sure that they sidestep them. And thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I don't know about you, but listening to this show today makes me want to go binge watch Succession. And I know I have a few seasons to catch up on, But this moral of the story here today is that planning in communication is truly key, especially for families with businesses. Families with businesses definitely have a complex situation. And for those that have concerns about the long-term financial future, I encourage you to reach out. It's an important asset that has great value. And as financial advisors, we can work with your estate planning team and your CPA to make sure that you are doing all of the planning you need to create a financially secure future, not only for yourself, but for your family. You can reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com, or you can reach out to me also via email. Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y at francisfinancial.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us for Financially Ever After, and we'll be seeing you in two weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call, and the number is 347 382-5580. Let me say that again. 347-682-5580. Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com or you can email me at stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.